I'm just going to start recording and I'll find a place to edit in. But um, would you mind going ahead and just introducing yourself and your theatrical history, if that would be a good way to start? Oh, all right. Uh, Lenny Bart. I'm currently the artistic director of Spokane Civic Theater. Uh, I'm a professional actor, classically trained, uh, who for about a decade uh, ran professional theater companies in New Jersey while also doing freelance acting and directing. Then uh, about five years ago, I moved to Quincy, Illinois, and I became the managing artistic director of Quincy Community Theater, uh, 500 seats, uh, well-appointed theater, and uh, then I became executive director of Arts Quincy, the nation's first arts council. Oh, interesting. Wow. Yeah, and then uh, as of September, I've been here in beautiful Spokane. Perfect. Uh, so how, just to, I guess, go over where you are now, how did you go through the process of becoming the artistic director of the Civic Theater? Did you just happen into it, or was, was the Civic Theater actively looking for someone? The Civic Theater here? was looking, okay. uh, and, and they were seeking two positions, an executive director, uh, which they titled the CEO, and then an artistic director. It's a new model that they have had. Okay. Uh, and so they did a national search. I was looking for something. I wanted to be into a more urbane place, and... I came across this as one of the many places, and I had interviewed and continued along the process. And and it was funny because I live with my mother-in-law and my wife, and my wife, who's sort of given up her acting career to follow along, the moment I mentioned Spokane, they both kind of looked at each other and sort of raised eyebrows and thought, <laughs> we could do that. So okay. it came through. Uh, we I flew out here for an interview, and then uh, they offered me the position, and I accepted. Beautiful. I'm going to get right into it, down and dirty. I have a question that sort of this whole podcast is a focus of, and it's a big, ambiguous question, so feel free to answer it any way that you would like, but what is your artistic direction? I got a really solid education from an old school teacher in college, uh, and it used sort of the John Gassner, who was married to... Um, um, oh my god, now I'm just having a, a, a brain fart. Um, <laughs> I'll come back to that. And okay. uh, and so it's, it's really all about script analysis, which it comes to me. Serving the play, serving the playwright. Okay. Um, and with that, uh, you know, it's, it's a little different in terms of am I being hired to come in as a director to an organization? Am I directing a show for my organization? Or am I guiding someone who's directing for my organization okay. uh, because I think it does all come down to uh, everyone has their own particular MO and so yeah. I think that's one of the most beautiful things about the arts is being a collaborative art form you must find ways to make that work yes yeah now a lot of times people will bring in their team uh, they'll have the designers they like to work with or a uh, stage manager. And a lot of times people, and I think uh, even on a community theater level especially, uh, talk about um, pre-casting and people always using the same people over and over again. And, and I think there's, there's not really truth to someone saying, you're going to do this part, but there's a lot of truth to people working uh, with people they've worked with before. Mm -hmm. They have a shorthand of language. They know how that person works. They, they understand their work ethic. Uh, they kind of get each other because, uh, uh, you know, like I say, I think there's a freedom in artistic interpretation that comes in. And hence, a lot of times, uh, compiling the team that is from your perspective helps you in the, the long run by creating a really nice uh, shorthand for each other. Yes, yeah, and that's the difficulty of casting is that it's good to bring in new perspectives, but if someone comes into an audition, you've never known them before, you've never seen them before, this is your first experience with them, they do a good job and you cast them, well, you still don't know about them as a person, so it's there's an interesting balance between casting of do you go with the new person who is inherently a little bit more risky, or do you go with the uh, the person that you're more familiar with? Do you think is there a way to find a balance between that? Do you first of all do you agree with that? <laughs> yes, I do, um, uh, and I'll I'll use a quick example okay, of of something. Uh, one of our recent productions, there is someone who was cast who was phenomenal in terms of their ability to handle language 
and to have an exciting presence, but they've never really done shows before. And they're an X Factor. We don't know this person. And through the process, there was a lot of battling with the director, with that person not understanding how to take direction or even standing up to authority in some some capacities and uh, not learning the line so the discussion had started to come around to do we need to start finding someone to understudy and potentially replace this person and yet uh, they were making enough progress and uh, when we watched it at a, a certain point in the process this person was is just extremely interesting on stage and it really comes down to in that case we would rather have that difficult extremely challenging person who just brings something very creative and fresh and even in opposition to the director and even in some cases some of the other performers because they're they they work sort of outside the normal box Mm -hmm. but i think i think in this case it uh will prove to be wonderful for the production however I do have an overall kind of no diva policy, um, you know, and this is kind of another thing going on with people working with people they know and they like. You know, you spend an awful lot of time. Uh, the, I think the average community theater will will do six to eight weeks of a rehearsal period and a two to four week run. Sounds about right. And you've got a you're spending a lot of time away from your wife or your husband or your you know pet, uh, and and you're working with these people intensely. And you want to be with people you know you like, you know? But I will always uh, choose the person who I think is a harder worker, and if they're not quite as on that level of that other person who's a diva, I don't want a diva. Like I said, I'm going to be spending a long period of time with this person. So that's a balance you always have to kind of battle to achieve. I think getting back to your original question... To achieve your vision, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and and I think it it ties in with who you work with. Are there diva red flags that you have found over the years of working? Well, this is for everyone's edification. Be nice to your stage manager. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they are usually that first person at that door. They're the one you meet. They're the one who's sitting there waiting when you come in. Um, spilling your frappuccino on your suit and you're late and, and you're all razzed up and, and you're high strung and you say to that person, give me my piece of paper, I'm here, you know, and suddenly, you know, heckles get raised yep. on, on that person. And I don't know if everyone does this, but I absolutely uh, touch base with whoever my front desk person is. How was that person? If I don't know them. Interesting. Okay. Because I, I think people aren't aware that that communication happens there yeah there is a presence on stage but there is a way that you hold yourself and the way that every actor holds themselves affects every other actor and affects the way that the uh the vision of whatever piece that you're performing goes so uh, is is there a way i'm interested in the idea and you, you said it brilliantly is everyone comes in with their own mo Everyone has their own sort of whether or not they've defined it to themselves, their own artistic intent when they enter into any sort of performance or engage with any sort of performance. Uh, And I think one of the struggles is honoring what they are bringing whilst also assembling the entire cast under a specific vision. Is there a way that you think you can assemble a group of people under a vision while still honoring what they have to bring is there are there tips and tricks that you've learned or is there one nugget that you have well that? i i don't think there's a nugget but it's all about the process and as you say there's a million and, and 12 ways to to do this so i can only really speak mostly to to my process and what i found that works for me. As I said, I, I work with sort of old school John Gassner script analysis, Stella Adler, there we are, sorry. Okay. The process that we go through to understand the material and then to be true to ourselves and bring that to life. So I make everyone, and I've done this, uh, and, you know, and I've worked with Tony-nominated performers, Emmy winners and whatnot, and I, all, I make them all do a character analysis. Mm-hmm. And this is what I did when I also taught. I've taught at the uh, you know, uh, high school and, and college level and whatnot. So at every one of those groups, I've made them do this character analysis. And it, and it's, uh, it works both ways, to both of our advantages. I think quite often 
people are ambiguous or unspecific mm-hmm. and they're like, my character is sort of in a way, kind of. And uh, it's really the specificity that, that, that makes something clear and understandable and translatable to an audience as well. And so by going through the process of putting your actual thoughts down, and I have relatively specific questions and guidelines for them to think about as they answer these questions, they put it down. And now this is where it works to their advantage. Being an actor myself, um, so I'm one of those directors that's I like to call an actor's director. Mm -hmm. I understand the process and what they're going through, and I work within that, and I, I try to help them achieve what they want to do. And so I read what they're trying to uh, uh, achieve with their character. And of course, having the overall unified artistic vision of the piece, at least in theory, uh, (laughs) um, (laughs) you know, I can kind of guide them and say, Oh, I love this. Think more of this. Oh, I don't know. And kind of push it in a way. And it's a living document then that we both are working from at that point. They know what I want. I know what they're trying to do. I can help them achieve it, but I can be guiding it to fit my overall pattern. Uh, what are some of the questions, if you can recall off the top of your head, that you have the actor ask of the character? Well, first is to understand who they are, what they are, their social backgrounds. Are they um, religious? Uh, what are their familiar relationships? How do they treat people? What is their carriage? How do they stand? How do they walk? I'm also a very physical actor when I do my work. And so I like to incorporate physical and vocal aspects into performances. So things like leading centers, uh, rate or pitch of voice, you know, other theatrical techniques I really explore with my performers. And not everyone has that, you know, particularly at a community theater level. Some people have trained, some people have pursued professional careers. Some people have just done a couple of shows in junior high and they think it'd be fun to meet some new friends. And so, uh, you know, you have to find ways to communicate that information on a level that they can understand. If you've had some guy who who trained uh, at a, a school or got a four-year degree in college uh, and has done a number of shows, you know, you, you could probably have a lot of real similar language things. Uh, and, and then some new people you have to explain it in a way that I think they can grasp without you know really weighing down the whole process yeah it's about leveling out because that's it doesn't really matter the background when they're doing the performance it's just they have to embody the character well and you know i've had some actors that have no training that are just phenomenal presence and then i've had some fully trained people that are duds (laughs) and everything in between in any crisscross you know so it's uh someone that once asked me uh you know are people born talented or can you learn it? And I, I certainly don't consider myself an artist. I consider myself a craft person. Okay. Uh, and I craft the art and make it come alive. And so like any good craftsperson, you can learn your craft and get better and better. However, some people I think do have an innate talent and ability that can far surpass any training or experience. And so that's why I think it doesn't really matter if you're trained, if you've kind of got some of it, uh, or if you're willing to work hard and learn it, you can be effective up on the stage. Yeah, and you, something that I've been told about talent or taught about talent is that it, you cannot control the level of talent that you have been gifted with, so it should not be a consideration, and you should just bring who you are to the stage. As an actor, say I'm an actor and I've just been cast in one of your productions, what are the things that you would ask of me right at the beginning? What would make me the best possible actor to work with uh, from the beginning? That's, uh, if, if you need to answer that. No, no, no. It's okay. a uh, long story. Um, <laughs> well, uh, uh, first off, it's, it's preparation. And preparation means reading the play. <laughs> understanding the history of the playwright, what is the period that it is in. Mm-hmm. I'm big on research uh, for certain shows. I usually never have time to do it for musicals, even though musicals need it the most. Yeah. Uh, but usually with straight shows, I'm, I uh, assign an area that isn't necessarily for your particular character, but about the piece and the whole. And to come back and to share with us. And again, um, you know, 
Not only does that give them a deeper understanding of the piece, I also find it's a bonding exercise for a cast. You come back and someone talks and, and maybe you know a little something and you go back and forth. Similar with the uh, character analysis, I always analyze first with the actor and let him answer and talk about it, but then I open it up to other people. Uh, and, and Billy Bob or Susie Q might say, did you think about maybe he has this or that? And then you're sort of like, oh, interesting i didn't think that and that's that's the collaborative process which i think when controlled properly is is one of the greatest things yeah absolutely you know and, and i think it's one of the things that make us in the art world want to be a part of group projects because it's like you know it's it's uh, uh, Judy and uh, oh my God, I and Mickey, you know, sewing a couple of uh, uh, curtains together to make a uh, to put on a show, you know, it's that working together and make something happen and yeah, and feel that reward when you do it. Occasionally, you encounter actors who I don't want to call them divas, <laughs> but they believe that they are able to supply what is needed with themselves and only themselves. And they aren't really interested in engaging in the collaborative process of it. They don't. Um, and I, I don't know. Have you encountered? Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. <laughs> yes. As he rolls his eyes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, that that to me is is a diva actor. Okay. 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 So to me, you know, like I say, I, a theater is a collaborative art form, and I'm not saying people have to be friends or even like each other, but they must work well together. Mm -hmm. And I don't care if you're in New York. I always, oh, this is another piece of advice I would say to the actor right there since it's part of the story. Do not make up anything on your resume. Okay. Do not. Because um, I'd look at that and I'd say, oh, you did a show with Billy Bob there. What was it like working with him? They're like, oh, it was great. I'm friends with Billy Bob. It's a yeah. small world. I don't care if, if you're here in Spokane <laughs> or if you're in Manhattan. I'll talk to Billy Bob later on, and I'll say, how, how was Georgie Boy in that show? And he's going to say, Georgie Boy thought he had it all. He didn't need to learn anything. He didn't need to work within the process. Do you think I'm going to cast Georgie Boy? No, absolutely not. Is it just a matter of learning about the actor and avoidance, or do you think there is a way if... If Georgie Boy happens to slip through the cracks and he is cast and now he's on the cast, uh, are there ways that you have found to um, alleviate the diva within an actor? I usually bring a cattle prod to rehearsals. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, no, I, and, and, and actually, quite often, Georgie Boys might just need to see the right director. Yeah. You know, and so I won't exclude Georgie Boy just because he's an egoist and thinks he's better than everyone else. Uh, again, sometimes he may have a je ne sais quoi, some quality that that I just need for that one thing. And I would, I like to think that you need classroom management skills. So as a director, you need those management skills to bring order to the process and to be very clear what your expectations are. And I, I think actors can hear that and hopefully respect it and Hope. try to work for it, you know? And, and if they don't, they're not going to be working around that much. So it's really, it behooves an actor to, to be, I think, a part of that process because it, and, and, and um, like I said, every director has their own way. The way I'm going to approach a, a particular show Maybe completely different the way you approach it, and there's no right or wrong. Yeah, you know, and that's again, that's the beauty. Another thing, I, I want to move into talking about direction, but there's something that uh, it's kind of a universal terminology: uh, emotional or acting blocks. So blocks on actors where they, an actor, understands what they need to achieve on stage, um, but for some reason or another, they are not quite able to actualize what they know they need to achieve. Uh, can you speak to at all any uh, blocks that you've seen over, the, like repeated blocks that you've seen over, and maybe how to alleviate or how to get rid of there's, I, I, I call it tension, I think, in some way, shape, or form. That's a good catch-all term. Well, yeah. I, what I think uh, you're addressing in, in the way that I work is if an actor is prepared, if they've broken down the script, if they understand what their objective is, 
why are they there, what must they achieve, what must they get from that person. If they can understand the tactic or the way they go about to achieve that objective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you talk and they understand what are the obstacles, you know, what is preventing that person from achieving that or going after it. Is it internal? Is it external? Mm-hmm. And again, these go back to that earlier character analysis. And not all actors have these building blocks. Um, if they've gone to a training program, they probably have some similar language of, of these training techniques because they're, they're, they're really only a couple of main ones that everyone, everything is a variation from. Yeah. You know, and, and so if you are providing them those building block tools and if you're asking them those direct questions, um, you know, uh, young actors are always saying, what do I do with my hands? And it's like, give yourselves realistic activities. What does that person do? Acting isn't being. You can't be a hippie, but you can do things that we associate with hippies do. You can have your hair long. I can wear my beads, man. Yeah. You know, I, I, can, I can pretend I'm like really high and into colors and stuff like that, you know? So by doing those things, I am portraying uh, what happens. And I find quite often the physical commitment to something feeds us on an emotional level and that's my training and that's what i try to get my performers to do i I believe that also i I believe a lot of our emotions lie within our body somewhere like when you were describing the hippie right then you just leaned back very casually like you were kind of sinking into the couch that it, it is amazingly effective how that portrays that person it portrays who you are how do you get an actor to commit to physicality? Because I've I've experienced this where you, you get uh, sticks. You get mm-hmm. people who are standing, just rigid people who are delivering their lines. And I guess maybe my opinion on that is they haven't quite uh, memorized their lines. They haven't quite prepared enough. And so instead of thinking about being the character, they're thinking about what is the line that I'm supposed to be saying. Is there a deeper level than that? Or do you think it's just that preparation that you need to you need to be fully prepared in order to embody the character the sooner you can get that script out of your hand the best yeah. always because then you're living in the moment per- performing off of others okay. and again that's that, that's i think one of the the biggest techniques is is acting is reacting it's the basic laws of nature there is an action and from that action is a reaction so when i slap you your head turns around and you touch your face, you look at me and your mouth drops open and you're freaked out. Then either you run away crying <laughs> or you attack me back or something. That is your reaction to my action of striking you. And instantly you're forgetting about yourself in your hands. Okay. So, so, so knowing to play off of your partner and to have exercises uh, that play off your partner, a um, Meissner has this, this repetitive game technique you know uh, where you say this, right? yeah, yeah you know you go back and forth the same thing and only if somehow what your person does changes you do you change your line you know uh, all kinds of uh, games and techniques and things but again for me from a physical perspective uh from my training that that i've had uh, i've come up with what i like to use our our uh weight color and rate you know just because I weigh 132 pounds, which I don't, uh, doesn't mean I can't carry myself like I weigh 400 pounds. I see. So, uh, again, I'll use a perfect example of actors who weren't thinking of this, but it's, it's an example. I did a play with this 350-pound man who was a twinkle toes. He was light. He, he, <laughs> he glided through the scenes. And then I played with this uh, 98-pound woman who was playing Puck. And everything, you know, so her weight was heavy as she stomped and clomped and clubbed through. It was all heavy. And this other person just tiptoed through. He was light, even though he weighed 350. You know, what is the rate? Again, are you that slacker dude that's like, hey, man, and, and, and you just kind of, your feet shuffle along really slowly, and you stop and you look around and you smell things, you know? Or are you quick? Let's go. Come on. What is the line that you use? Do you use a straight, direct line? Are you a curved line person? Are you a staccato type of quick, fast? And then you can also find things like, is there an animal imagery? 
if you're feeling quick, can you be a bird? And will your head bob up back up and you'll be quick and, and, and you'll look around at noises and be freaked out, you know? And, and again, uh, I, the moment I start committing to those things fully, I, I feel that way. Like, oh my God, there's a yeah. goose over there. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at some geese. <laughs> That's weird. You know, and you start to get that way and you feel changes vocally, you know? And, and so I think those are great techniques yeah. to utilize. And then suddenly when you embody that, you're not thinking about embodying anymore. You are just, you are that in that mindset and you're in that headspace and you're that character. Then you're fully, I know you said you can't be anything and I agree with that, but you're being in air quotes for the listener, yeah. uh, that character. Yeah. I'm curious about artistic direction. So, because they, they are two different beasts, mm-hmm. certainly. One is uh, directing is very immediate to, you know, we are doing this production. Let's discover the intention of the production, discover how we're going to meet that attention, and then pull it off. Artistic direction is a much more catch all. There is a, you are representing a theater now. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious. Say, I'll, I'll give you just a, a hypothetical example. There is a small town, uh, there's a community theater, there is someone who has been engaged with the community theater who doesn't really have any artistic direction experience, and the uh, artistic director of the theater, for whatever reason, moves along, and this community member is the person that everyone is looking to to be the next artistic director. They get moved up. They don't quite know what to do. What is some advice that you would have right at the beginning for an artistic director who really hasn't had any experience with uh, leading a theater's vision? That's a that's an extremely difficult and complicated and uh, highly variable scenario. Yeah. Uh, so we'll just talk of you know just from from a little bit of certain angles of it. Um, one of the catch-22s is in community theaters, your sole purpose is to work with community. And yet sometimes with that, you also get clicks, uh, people talking in circles around people instead of directly coming and saying, hey, what if we tried this? You know, and, and little backstabbing things sometimes can happen in that. And so I think first off is is you want to attempt to clamp down on any of that i think transparency is a good way to do that and i think open communications with the uh, strategic players hopefully you have a board of directors that are involved and caring hopefully you have some other staff members or volunteers as a lot i think your scenario you quite often have a a full volunteer organization or small stipends for a few things here and there And I think that's something important to really understand is people are coming here because they love it and they believe in it. And again, just like we said way early on as a director, your interpretation and my interpretation may be completely different. And so how do you bring these completely divergent, different ways together? Uh, That one person who thinks you should only do Neil Simon and sell as many tickets and another person who says we need to do something avant-garde and 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 attract the new generation you know um, how do you make those things work so I think I think surrounding yourselves with people who think differently than you uh, and yet are, are free to have open and clear communication is really the key you can get a better understanding of, of, of what your organ and then be very clear and concise on what is the mission and how do you go about achieving that having policies and procedures in place that you can adhere to and follow uh, because it just isn't fair to say we only hire outside directors of people who have a bachelor's in theater and then someone's friend comes along and they may be a perfect person but that's your policy and now you say, well, we can make an exception here. Well, then that whole group is going to say, why not make an exception for this person? Yeah. So having clearly written broad-based policy and procedure that, that is made by consensus and then adhering to it always gives you that fallback of this is the way it's done. That doesn't mean you can't revisit any uh, uh, procedure or policy and change it, but it's there for the moment and that's how you operate. And I think that will minimize the sometimes uh, insane amount of what I call kind of machinations <laughs> that, um, you know, 
sometimes, and I'm not talking about my current organization, I'm just talking about all organizations in general, in general yeah. uh, where a board member, fellow staff members, volunteers, patrons bring to, to, to the table because it can be daunting sometimes yeah. that bunkety boo stuff when all you're trying to do is put on the best show you can. Do you have any advice if you are a narcissistic director or you are in a leadership role and there is someone who is who has the I love the term bunkety boo but has an idea and is readily of there to challenge you to work against you do you have any advice in terms of should you is it more effective to just shut them down should you try to find a middle ground is this a thing that you bring up to the community and then you see what everyone weighs in on it when i taught middle school okay <laughs> first off you you i think the biggest thing is you you should have an open mind are these ideas this person is presenting maybe not in the way you like it or maybe not the way you operate or blah, blah? Are these valid ideas and valid points? Can you be objective enough to look at that and be valid? If the person is simply a gadfly and mm -hmm. is there to buck up the works and, uh, uh, you know, they just like to hear themselves talk, they're a blowhard, I think most of the community will see and realize that. And I found when that one kid just wanted attention or would do the jerky thing or did stuff or, or whatever was going on, I would simply stop. And they would quite often bury themselves or demonstrate to everyone else in the room that they just are not really presenting something valid. I see. If you can't be objective, and if you happen to work in a dictatorial manner, you're going to shut that person down. Maybe you're strong enough to run and everyone agrees with your vision and gets behind you. Um, maybe they don't, and there are coup d'etats. I think even an organization can go through a new leadership, new board, some new volunteers and in a matter of two or three years be a very different organization yeah. and then in another two or three years the same thing could happen again and be completely different i've seen it happen yeah, yeah I've seen it happen. you know and then there are some that have you know tradition and they hold on to everything uh you know uh so you can pry it from their cold dead hands mm -hmm. you know again i don't think there is any right or wrong way to do it I'm personally a believer of consensus and agreement. You know, I'm very strong-willed. I have strong opinions. I have ways I think I want to do it. Um, but I like to think I'm somewhat open enough to hear another perspective. And if it makes sense to me, take it. And it's too bad our political discourses couldn't be more like that. Yeah, <laughs> we won't even go on another podcast. Yeah, that's a whole, that's a, that, yeah, that's a different podcast <laughs> entirely. Um, you touch on something that's uh, pretty prevalent in most community theaters, which is the idea that every two to three years, there's, I think it's a pretty common thing, there's new people constantly coming in. Um, so there's this balance, and I wonder if you have any advice uh, in terms of achieving it, of how do you keep a theater fresh and alive for the committed members who have been there for a long time, but still engage with the new ideas? Is it just constantly keep the fresh things coming, or is there... Uh, d does that question make sense? Yeah, okay. you know, um, and it's, it's 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 similar not only for for your your volunteers and whatnot, but but your patrons as well. It's 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 really engagement. Are you engaging these people in ways that makes it worthwhile for them to come? Okay. You know, our our rehearsal template for a musical on our main stage is for eight weeks they'll rehearse. Well, for seven weeks they'll rehearse. Uh, Monday through Thursday and coming on Saturday and maybe a Sunday night if needed. Now, if you're working a, a full-time job, and these days very few people's full-time job is really 9 to 5, Monday through Friday. A lot of times there are extra demands. Um, maybe you've got your kids. And, and so you're, you're asking an awful lot of these people. And if it's not fun for them, or if they don't feel like they're getting anything out of it, they're not going to come back. Similarly, uh, we sometimes get that one stage manager or that backstage crew person or that person that just has that voice of an angel and we put so much pressure on that person to work, 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 they burn out. Mm -hmm. And they're like, 
and I hate to say it, once you burn that person out, even though they love you, it's going to take a long time till they come back because they'll have burnt out or be gone. Or if you've made it a horrible experience, they're not going to come back, you know? And, and so how do you find that balance of doing, honoring the past, keeping things fresh? Uh, I, I think it's just about making it an experience that people are going to want to be around and let the experienced ones hold on to the history and let the, the new ones bring fresh blood to it and find ways to... Uh, here's one example of what we just did and it was great and we are trying to do it as often as we can. We had two shows that were rehearsing very different types of casts, very different shows, hanging out. We had some overlapping where they had to share the dressing rooms and it's weird because that first group's in there, they're kind of like... Yo, dude, this is my mirror yeah. space. Don't be encroaching yeah. on me. You know, and it's this whole new energy. So we had a dual cast party and we played trivia. Oh, and beautiful. it was fun. We played. It was a hoot. It was on site. Everyone uh, brought their own food and booze. So it was very affordable to do. Uh, we got to know each other. And after that, there were, it, we were... We were the civic players in the dressing room, not cast A and cast B in the dressing rooms. That's beautiful. And and so I think doing things like that, making it fun and, and worthwhile, uh, hopefully the old ones will do their traditions and the young ones will do theirs and people will learn and enjoy. Yeah, and be engaged. Yeah. And so that's well, one side of the coin is having your actors and the volunteers and all the staff engaged. The other side of the coin is having the patrons engaged. So there is a, there's a challenge of providing what the community will want uh, with your performances is there a way that you've found uh, to figure out what the pulse so to speak of the community is uh, because that's choosing choosing a lineup of shows is a relatively difficult process there's a lot of say that I mean it's a lot of variables up in the air, especially if you're cat if you're choosing, you know, an entire year from the beginning. Well, that's there might be something happen that happens in June that would affect the July. There might be I know the political discourse that's currently happening. I know several theaters who have a added shows. There's a um, in my hometown. There's a theater that added a uh, the director translated a French play called Ubu Roy uh, about a, a leader of a, a battalion who is completely incompetent uh, and can't do anything correctly and essentially destroys the battalion. And he did that because of the uh, current election. So is there a way of understanding the community as the artistic director? Uh, is there a way to engage with the community or is it just simply engaging with the community? Well, there's all kinds of ways. I, uh, today, the tag words is all about data and analytics. You know, and, and it, it really depends on where is your organization in that. Um, some people say, yeah, I've heard of that word analytics. I know it exists. And some people have some techno computer geeko who's who's one of their volunteers who's like all over it and and is able to guide your social media person if you're able to have a social media person if it's not just you know aunt betty sitting down late at night typing in and trying to make sure there are no typos in it you know uh spreading the word uh it's 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 very difficult um you know also what is the size of your organization? If, if you're that person in that small community that everyone's looked at you, they're probably pretty much just letting you pick a season that you think is going to do well. And if you're the only game in town, you might do well because you're the only game in town and people, yeah. you know, certain segment of society wants to go see shows, so they're going to see your shows. Spokane, we have an awful lot of competition to deal with. So we have to be you know, uh, thoughtful of what we do. Um, I get pressure from from some board members and some staff and, and whatnot that they want shows that are going to sell out tickets yeah. because we have to meet payroll and, and pay utilities. So there's the practical aspect of the show. Then there's the uh, building of a new audience, you know. Um, they don't necessarily want to come and see Oklahoma for the fifth time, <laughs> you know, they want to see something edgier. Do your blue-haired, die-hard season subscribers want to come see something by Neil LeBute, some real yeah. cutting-edge piece of theater that, that is dealing with 
things that we don't want to talk about, you know. So how, how do you how do you find that balance? Um, you know, and, and I, I think again, trying to understand who your community is, are you just gonna gonna take a look at what shows historically sold well? Is there a time slot, a time of year that has an impact? Can you do uh, get volunteers to come in and, and, and you know ask sample groups and try to get a, a survey of what are the type of shows they want to see? Uh, and I think I think theater groups throughout time have done all of those things and still be surprised that there's just no real answer. Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, when I first came here, they did Guys and Dolls, mm-hmm. which to me is a tried and true fun musical that that when you survey people, everyone wants to go yeah. see. Yeah, springtime, big musical. I don't know. It did okay at the box office. It didn't do the gold numbers people had expected it to do. Mm-hmm. Why we don't know. Uh, you, you know, you can look at other ones. We knew when we did Beauty and the Beast opening this season, we knew it was going to do well. We knew it was going to bring in people who normally don't come to the theater, and it did that for us. So some things you can really tell, but others, you, I don't know, you know. You can do your best to, to, to try to know your audience, uh, know your time slots, and uh, use your data as much as possible to, to help guide those decisions. Are there ways that you know of to uh, effectively reach new audiences? Well, outreach. Outreach, okay. In my last community, I was uh, in Rotary. And before I had moved out, you know, because I lived in Manhattan, right outside of Manhattan in, in New Jersey. And, and you know, I would sort of laugh or chuckle and think, <laughs> Rotary, yeah, right. And, and then I came here and I, it was important for me to join to to be able to present it and consequently not to do a big push for Rotary but what the programs that they did are, are phenomenal and incredible and, and, and great great business members of community involved but a lot of times you have a business person there who doesn't really know much about theater and you're there you can share that out um, going to uh, I just did a job fair for interns sometimes those are valuable because you get a really good intern and there are other times when uh, you, you know you're just meeting people there, and they're finding out about your organization, and you know enjoying uh, 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 doing that and coming to it. You know, to me, it's it's a lot about marketing, and there are different ideas. Uh, some people think the print world is dead, and you only are reaching people via social media and other forms like that. And I believe, again, this harkens back to my teaching days, students have different ways of learning. Audience members have different ways of finding out about your organization. Some look at ads in newspapers. Some listen to the radio. Some see it on Facebook. Uh, some hear it from their friends. And I, I think any smart organization is doing everything they can to attack from all sides and all angles and continuing to to strive to reach out because you go to anywhere I don't care where you're at if we right now went to the North Town Mall and asked a hundred people have you heard of Spokane Civic Theater which has been around for 70 years is a mainstay in the community I'll bet you 60 to 70 percent of them would say well maybe 50 would say no uh, but probably 70 percent wouldn't be able to tell you where it is Maybe even more. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm kind of just pulling those numbers yeah. out of the air, but yeah, yeah. they're probably statistically within 1.232%. Hmm. Either up or down. That's, yeah, that's amazing. That's um, something, an argument I've heard of postering, because that's that's been a, a debate, is are posters even worth it? Are, is slapping a poster up at a coffee shop uh, even worth it? It's it's not so much that someone's going to see a singular ad and say, that uh, that show I'm going to... That does happen, and that's great when it does, but it's more getting the show in the view of the community. If they can see an ad of a show four times during a week, well, then they know that Kiss Me Kate is going to be at the Civic Theater. It's in the back of their head, but they but they know that. Right. Uh, and so that's, that's a manner of engaging with the community. And then you said that there's you know, social media... 
are there roles that you think could be overlooked when doing are, are there manners of outreach that could be overlooked or could uh, be overseen maybe something that trying to form this question as like because you, you covered a lot of them but I'm interested in the idea of what is what is going the extra mile in terms of outreach could you go actually physical physically to schools like would that be effective or? yes and we do we go to senior centers yeah. uh, and and put on little segments of it you know there's and unfortunately it's really all about time and energy and money you know where where do you allocate those and and often uh, time is is a more important resource than money in many <laughs> many cases because even a small community you you can put on the most uh, lavish show by doing almost nothing you know and if people just need that entertainment they'll see it uh, you know like like for instance I I went and saw Kinky Boots at the IMB Center and their show curtain that they had to open up that was only used at the very top of the show was probably our set and costume budget for the year for our 13 shows that we produce. That one moment of, here's that curtain, it's gone. We've never seen it again for the whole run. $30,000 for that curtain, boom. Wow. You know? Uh, and so, <laughs> where do you allocate yourself to make that work? Do you need to be at the theater more often because the, sh the director that you've brought in needs their hand held and the actors are crying and not learning their lines? Do you have a great group and you can go out? Uh, do, you, do you have gung-ho performers who are willing to go to that uh, event in the park and, and spend their Saturday afternoon and then go perform that night as well? You know, so... so, so it's really, I think, of understanding what your resources are and, and where they can be allocated to best serve your organization because no one has enough of what they need. <laughs> yeah. Whether it be people, money, time, space, we just don't. And that's, how, that's when you get creative and you have to figure out creative solutions to, to fill the lack of uh, whatever you, you do, don't have. There's a dichotomy that you have to fill when you're the artistic director of the artistic director and director role because when you're the artistic director you cannot direct every single show you just are simply you'd be spread too thin is there a rough percentage you would say of acceptable shows to direct as the artistic director do you think you could you could just do all of the shows if you wanted to or is that well it would be uh uh, physically and mathematically impossible with the amount of programming our current organization does. My my last job, we produced six main stage shows and then a couple of st uh, uh, student projects and then a couple of company things. Uh, and I directed all of them. And the problem with that was I was also the managing artistic director, so I was, I was responsible for all the finances of the organization as well, grant writing and all of that. That was untainable for me because... I would normally get there at 10, and then at 5, I'd do all that business stuff. I'd go home, wolf down a meal, kiss my wife, come back and rehearse all night long. I think when you're 20, maybe even 32 and a half, that's okay. <laughs> that's the range. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm into my 50s comfortably, and yeah. so, uh, uh, y you know, I no longer want to do that. I don't even know if I still physically, I mean, I think back what I used to be able to do, and I'm like, how the heck did I do that? Yeah. You know, so it's, it's, uh, that's hard. So I've been asking a lot of questions. Is there anything that you would like to speak to in terms of artistic direction or direction that you think we have not touched yet? Uh, is there, is there a realm of direction? I mean, there's, well, a, it's a very multifaceted I think thing. the, the area, and I think this is mostly really what, what you're interested in is, mm -hmm. is the artistic director portion. Um, and in an organization like mine where, where we do, uh, you know, 10 of our subscription series and a bunch of other things where I'm only able to direct two of them. At first I thought, I'm picking these great shows. I want to direct at least three of them. But after having been here for a while now, I've realized as the artistic director, I feel uh, it's my responsibility and duty to be at auditions, to be at uh, tech rehearsals, to be at openings, to attend a handful of rehearsals for each production. And when I'm directing three shows, that means, you know, eight times three is what, 24, half of the year 
I'm involved in that. So while that's going on, basically half of the shows, uh, I just have to let it, you know, case sera, sera. Yeah. Uh, so, so in this current situation, I'm, I'm new. I don't really know the directors. I don't know who's, I mean, I, I'm kind of getting to know them all a, 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 a lot and fast and whatnot, but, but who are the dependable ones? Who are the ones that need hand-holding? Who do I need to be in that room with? Who do I need to kind of co-direct? Who do I need to admonish for spending too much money and, and, and being silly, you know? Uh, so so that's, that's part of an artistic director's job is maintaining the artistic standards for the organization while honoring a different artist's view and, and finding that balance. Um, anything else in terms of uh, if you had one good old piece of advice to, to send it all off in terms of artistic direction, is there something that you would say? I would quote Polonius okay. in Hamlet. Unto thine own self be true. Yep, the classic. You know, I mean, y- you are who you are. Uh, you have your vision, your belief. So stick with that as strongly as you can uh, while being open to the influence of others to for the betterment of humankind. That's brilliant. Yeah, that's really when you present present these emotional scenarios to a, a populace, it does... it. it if, if an audience leaves with one thing, then I think their lives are bettered in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, um, well, Lenny, thank you so much for uh, for sitting down with me. Uh, is there any... If someone wants to come see a show at the Civic, uh, or if someone wants to find out more about you or the Civic online, is there a place that they can go to? Uh, you can go to uh, SpokaneCivicTheater.com, and it's theater, T-R-E. Yeah, that's the website. Uh, yeah, uh, that has most of everything that that, that you can see there. And uh, we are always, always, always looking for new people to get involved with our organization. So if it's something you've wanted to do, check us out. You can start by just ushering one night a week, uh, one night a year if you want, or you can audition for shows and be involved uh, more intensely. So. Perfect. Uh, any shows after May that you're excited about? Uh, well, we're into our summer. We have the Playwrights uh, Forum Festival where we're doing eight new plays by playwrights from a five-state region. Brilliant. Uh, and we have a very strong cast for it, and it's great working, developing scripts, and I think that's exciting. It, it, it offers a lot to our performers and artists to, to work at that way and give something exciting for our audience members to expand their horizons with. All right, perfect. Uh, well, thank you so much, Lenny. You can find out more about the podcast on jacobalexanderferg.com. And thank you so much for listening. And now I need to navigate the glare to stop. <laughs> I don't know if there's anything we can do there. Yeah. There we go.